With your Bibles open, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to come to you this morning, you as the living Almighty God. Thank you, Father, that we can call upon your name any time of day and night. And thank you that your hand is never too short to help and your ear never too deaf to hear. But Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to call upon you and know that you are the one who speaks to us through your word. And I pray that this morning that you will speak to us so that we may hear. Open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and enable our feet to do the walking and our hands to do the moving and our mouths to do the talking in accordance to your word. And this we pray, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Enable me as your servant to teach your people so that they may be edified and you may be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. It's a very well-known passage that the Apostle Paul, where he speaks about communion, and he says the following words. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I want to put emphasis on those last words, until he comes all right so when we partake of communion we are proclaiming the death of jesus christ we are basically saying that jesus christ died for us and when do we stop doing that we stop when jesus returns that's when we end before that we continue to do that as a proclamation of the death burial and resurrection of our lord and savior jesus christ all right so what we do is we look forward now we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until he comes. We are looking forward to the promise of Christ, of his return. Now in communion, we basically remember what Jesus did on our behalf. And we look forward to his wonderful return. And this way we get to Mark chapter 13. Because the question is, what will the return of Jesus Christ be like? So until Jesus returns, we need to partake of communion, which is fine, which is good, which is right, in, through which we basically proclaim the gospel, yeah, the gospel message. But he says, till Jesus returns, but there's going to be a time before Jesus returns that I believe is extremely important for us to, to know and understand so that when that time comes, we will be prepared, we will be ready. All right, so let's read from verse 24. Mark chapter 13 from verse 24. It says, But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of, with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the furthest parts of the earth to the furthest part of heaven. Beautiful, short paragraph that says a lot about the return of Jesus Christ when he returns back to this earth as he promised. Remember, the return of Jesus Christ is a promise. It was prophesied, obviously. So we know it's prophesied, but not only was it prophesied, it is a promise of Christ. It's something that we can trust God in, that Jesus Christ will return. Many promises in the New Testament speaking about the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, we are at the beginning of a new year. And during December, many Christians celebrated uh, the first coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Many people celebrated the birth of the Son of God. Many people are uh, quite familiar with the details of Christ's first coming. Uh, things like Bethlehem and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the angels, you know, and the, the gifts, the gold and myrrh and frankincense. But the thing is that many people, as much as they know about the first coming of Christ, and unfortunately, also believers do not know a lot about the second coming of Christ. And those things that will occur before the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth. 
Now, Jesus promised these disciples that they would be clear signs, and that his return is getting closer and closer and closer. We've looked at some of those signs during the years, but the signs will be there. And, and by the way, um, those signs are not going to happen within a day. You know, all of a sudden, poof, all the things that the New Testament speaks about the return of Jesus Christ is going to happen in one day. And then we're going to have the tribulation period. Then we're going to have the return of Christ. That's not how it works. There's going to be a period of time where we're going to see an escalation of things. We are going to see things develop. We are going to look at things happening worldwide that is going to basically prepare the way for Messiah to come or for Jesus Christ to come for his second coming. Just like many things had to happen for Jesus to come the first time. Likewise, many things are going to happen for Jesus to return the second time. And if we keep our eyes opened and we keep our eyes peeled and we keep our eyes focused on what Scripture has to say, we will be able to see those things happen and we will be able to cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. And we will be excited as we see these things develop that the return of Christ is indeed close and that what he said that the promise that he gave that he was going to return to this earth is indeed true because he also gave us the signs so that we can know that his return is indeed close. In Titus chapter 2 verse 13 we read that we should be looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to be looking for it. There needs to be an expectation with you and me for the return of Christ. And we need to look for it. And he calls it that blessed hope, ne? the return of Jesus Christ. There is no greater hope than the hope that Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and we're going to be with him forever and ever. Beloved, we should live with this expectation that Jesus Christ is coming, and I believe coming sooner than later. We are closer to his return today than we were yesterday and the day before and 2,000 years ago, which means that we need to keep our eyes peeled and we need to focus our attention on what is happening around the world. There's a lot of things happening around the world and many of these things could possibly be the signs that Jesus was speaking about, preparing the way for Messiah or for Jesus Christ's second coming. Now, it is wonderful to know that Jesus promised that he would come again. I, I want to emphasize this word, promise. And, and you know that God is not a liar. God never lies. So if he promised something, it will happen. And that's the amazing thing about the return of Christ. It has been promised, prophesied, obviously, but it had been, it's been promised, and you and I can believe what God has said. We read in John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, and here's the promise, I will come again. Now, you see that promise? I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, what a glorious word. Preparing a place for us. And he promises that he will come again and to receive us to himself. Beloved, God's word reveals important facts about the return of Christ so that we can hold fast to the promise that Jesus Christ made at his first coming. And the first, let's say, if we had to call it facts, I'm not going to go into these three facts that I wanted to share with you um, in, in Mark chapter 13, but we're not going to have time for that, so I'm just going to take one of them. And the first fact that we should take notice of and take real close notice of is that there will be a sequence of events that will take place before Jesus returns to this earth as he promised he would do. Just read verse 24 again in Mark chapter 13. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to refer back to even verse 14. But let's start with verse 24. And this is what we read but in those days, after that tribulation, 
The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So we are told very clearly in this verse when we should expect the return of Jesus Christ. Verse 24 tells us, in those days after the tribulation. See those words? In those days after the tribulation. And the days that Jesus is referring to, it's basically the days, we, it starts off in verse 14 right through to verse 23. Those are the days that he's talking about. The days when all these things are going to happen that he speaks about. All the signs are going to be visible on this earth. Now the promise that Jesus will return after the days of the great tribulation is also mentioned here. Right, so it's in those days, which means the days from verse 14 to verse 23, but also in the days after the tribulation. And Jesus will return to this earth. He will return as judge to judge the nations, but he will also return as king to set up his kingdom on this earth, where he will reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. Where we have all the turmoil now in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And what I would like to do is let me share just a few things about Jerusalem. We're going to go from one verse to another, so please have your Bibles with you, because I believe it's important for us to to read these things in God's Word so that we can be encouraged to see the things happening around the world is actually biblical, very much biblical. Let me start off by saying that in 70 AD, if, if you know your history, you will know that Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed as Jesus prophesied, and the Jews were scattered all over the world. And that continued until 1948 when, when Israel became a nation in one day as scripture predicted, as scripture prophesied. In one day Israel became a nation. And this basically fulfilled the prophecy of um, Luke chapter 21 verse 24. So if you want to turn there quickly, Luke chapter 21 verse 24. Very important uh, verse that I believe we need to take to heart, especially in the time that we are living in. There has been a question in my mind, uh, and Scripture actually answers that question, and my question has been, why don't we see as many people come to a true repentance? You know, a heartfelt repentance where people cry about their sin, knowing that they've sinned against the Holy God. We have a lot of altar calls. We have a lot of people that make a profession of faith, but their lives are not changed. Their lives stay exactly the same. They do the same sin that we find in the world. They live the same lives we find in the world. Yet they profess to be Christians. Nowadays, the church are under enormous pressure, pressure with regards to LGBTQ, with, about, uh, with regards to abortion, with regards to women in ministry as pastors, as elders of churches, of people just rejecting what Scripture has to say. The church is under enormous pressure with regards to worldliness. Instead of people being godly, we find that people are being worldly. This is what we read in Luke chapter 21 verse 24. It says, And they, that's the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword. And this happened in AD 70. Right? This was Jesus' short-term prediction. When Jesus died and was buried and was... Um, resurrected uh, after that it took about what is it 30, 30 odd years and what he said when he spoke to his disciples about the destruction of the temple happened which makes Jesus a true prophet that prophesies it's not the prophets that we find nowadays that prophets uh, they prophesy falsely but still we have to call them prophets or we have to acknowledge them as prophets it's nonsense they're liars not prophets if a prophet gives one false prophecy, that person is a false prophet, publicly speaking. All right. And Scripture says, and even if the prophets prophesy correctly, but they add to their prophecy, let's follow after false gods. Scripture tells us that's God testing us, whether we are going to follow God or whether we're going to follow the false prophets. 
Beloved, it's very important that we need to understand this. All right, so it says, And the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword as prophesied by Christ and be led away captive into all nations. And we know in 70 AD, the Jews were led into the world, captive into the world. They were dispersed all over the world into captivity, into all nations of the world. But we know in 1948, they returned back to Israel. They actually started earlier in the 1900s, around about 1916, I think, 1918. But they started coming back to Israel as prophesied in Scripture. But listen to this. It says, And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. All right, so what happens? From 70 AD until 1948, who were in charge of Jerusalem, of Israel? The Gentiles. One Gentile nation after another took control of the city of Jerusalem, and they controlled the city. Until 1967, when the old city was captured without shooting one bullet. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And for the first time, Jerusalem came under control of the Jewish people. Now, if the Gentiles were in control of Jerusalem for so many years, and God prophesied, or Christ prophesied, that the times of the Gentiles will end, I believe we are living in a time since 1948 where we are see that there's a, a, a downward spiral of people coming to faith from the Gentiles. Because God's focus has moved back to his nation, Israel. And in the tribulation period, just prior to the return of Christ, his focus will be on Israel. Because we know that all of Israel will be saved. And the last, the remnant of Israel that will be saved, will be saved within the tribulation period. Where God will draw his people to himself for his own name's sake. Not because of who Israel is. And because of what they've done. And because they're so holy. They're anything but holy. So please don't look at the modern day, modern nation of Israel and think that the modern nation of Israel is what God expects from his people. No. God will save them miraculously before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We will get to back to that just in a while. Now the Gentiles have lost control of Jerusalem. And I believe until the return of Jesus Christ, they will not regain control of Jerusalem again. It will remain uh, in the hands of Israel. Why? Because I think so? Because I'm clever? No. God said it. All right. So the time of the Gentiles will end and Israel will take charge of Jerusalem and we know that it happened. And, and we're looking back at history. We saw it happen. Well, there's people that reject and even Christians that reject history. That's right in front of our eyes. They reject it. But beloved, I believe that we need to be wise and need to learn how to discern and to divide scripture in such a way that we understand what the prophecies mean. In Joel chapter 3 verse 1, going back to the Old Testament, we read, For behold, in those days, and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, it speaks about God bringing the people of Israel or the, the sudden tribes back to Jerusalem. And we know that God has said throughout the Old Testament, prophesied many times, that he will scatter Israel all over the world, but he will bring them back. That's just one of the prophecies of Israel returning to the land of Israel. According to David Guzik, a commentator, he says, Those days, referring to Joel chapter 3 verse 1, and th that times basically refers to the broad period of the last days, uh, indicated by the ascension of Jesus Christ and the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. Beloved, God prophesied, or Christ prophesied, that he would bring Israel back from captivity, and it happened. Even Spurgeon, I remember reading some of his messages where he would refer back to the fact that Israel will return to the land. And he was one of the few that was saying it in those days. 
that Israel will return back to the land. And he said it around about 1880, end of the 1800s, and about 16, 60 years before it happened. I wonder what he would thought if he was there when Israel became a nation. Another passage of scriptural verse that I would like to take you to, two verses, is Psalm 132, verse 13 and 14. It says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. That basically the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is not just a city by chance. Jerusalem is God's chosen city. And then it says, He has desired it for His dwelling place. And, and we know that here is referring to the fact that the temple would be built in Jerusalem and God's Shekinah glory would fill the most holy place. And that's how God's presence would be among Israel and in Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. And when in 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed and the, tabernacle, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant was removed from the temple, God's Shekinah glory was removed as well. But there is still a sense that God is present in Jerusalem because he says in so many words that he has desired um, it, Jerusalem, for his dwelling place. And this is my resting place forever. And here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Which means that God's resting place or God's presence on this earth is in Jerusalem forever. Does it mean that God is not omnipresent? No, obviously not. When God's Shekinah glory was in the temple, it doesn't mean that God wasn't everywhere at the same time because God is God. It's just where God manifested His Shekinah glory. That's what He did in the temple. And likewise, when we see what happened in Israel through, or in Jerusalem through the years and we see what's happening in Jerusalem even now, we can see that there's something or someone, let's call it someone, who is looking over Jerusalem. And the psalmist tells us that God says, Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Beloved, it's absolutely amazing. So whoever rises up in hostility against Jerusalem is rising directly against God. And beloved, a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God. I don't look at the nations. I don't look at the nations surrounding Israel. I don't even look at the nation of Israel themselves. I look at the God of the Bible. The God who called Israel and gave them the promised land. And told them to build Jerusalem. To build the temple. And his Shekinah glory that entered into the temple. And that same God said that he will dwell in Israel forever. Because he has chosen Zion. In Ezekiel 5 verse 5 we read, Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations. With countries all around her beloved is it amazing that all eyes are focused on that little country called Israel that all the nations of the earth even South Africa has a hoo-ha about Israel and what's happening in Israel it's not a surprise it shouldn't be a surprise to Christians because we know why because God has placed or set Jerusalem in the center of the nations. Which means that the focus of the nations will always be on Israel. If you look at all the resolutions that the United Nations has uttered <laughs> in the past, since 1948, it's ridiculous. So many resolutions against one little country. That has nothing. Israel doesn't have gold. Doesn't have oil. Yeah, it's got natural gas now. But didn't have it before. Love it, but that's 
the reality of when God says that I will set her in the center of the nations and then with countries around her, which means that the center of all the nations of the earth, guess where it is? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The city of God. If anything happens in Jerusalem, it will be headlines on TV and in the newspaper. It's as if there is this thing in all the nations about Israel. Everybody's got a little egg to lay about Israel. And especially when it happens in Jerusalem, even more so. Beloved, it's said that Jerusalem is mentioned more than any other, other city in Scripture, more than 800 times. 660 verses in the Old Testament refers to Jerusalem, and 142 verses in the New Testament refers to Jerusalem. Jerusalem appears in two-thirds of the books of the Old Testament, and in half of the books of the New Testament. So do you think that Jerusalem is an important city in God's eyes? For sure. For sure. And don't dare to touch Jerusalem. For if you touch Jerusalem, you're touching God. And I believe that's why when at the last, when the battle of Armageddon takes place and these massive armies rise up against Israel, against the Lamb, against Christ, they don't even know they're going to rise up against Christ. They're just going to rise up against Jerusalem. They're going to rise up against Israel, and guess who they're going to meet when they when they reach the the, the battle uh, the, the, uh, when they reach Armageddon. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He will destroy them. He will utterly destroy the nations who dare to rise up against Him, because they think they are rising up against Israel. They think they are rising up against Jerusalem, but in in, in the meantime, they're rising up against the Lamb. They're rising up against the Almighty God. And woe be to them who do that. Beloved, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, we read very interesting uh, prophecy about Jerusalem. It says in verse 2 of Zechariah chapter 12, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. So Jerusalem will be like a cup filled with liquor. And anybody who drinks of that cup will become drunk. That's basically the, the clearest and easiest interpretation that you can get. They will get drunk if they drink of Jerusalem. But the prophecy continues, when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen, verse 3, in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all who would, um, would heave it away with surety, but uh, will, with surety will be cut to pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. So guess what? Even the nations that are now for Israel is going to turn against Israel. And that's for certain. That's for sure. We can be sure of that. Beloved, what does it mean that Jerusalem will become a cup of drunkenness? Verse 2. In the coming days till Jesus returns, Jerusalem will continue to make the surrounding nations drunk. And then they will act like drunkards. The more obsessed the, the surrounding nations become with Jerusalem, the more irrational they will act. Let me tell you, when I look at the nations surrounding Israel, I, I, I kind of can't understand how irrational they are thinking at this stage, how irrational they are acting at this stage. They will act like drunkards. The more obsessed they become, the more irrational they will react or act. I mean, they already act like irrational drunkards, but it's going to get worse. Even the people of the world are acting more like drunks 
than people who are sober sober minded. Jerusalem will also become a very heavy stone, it says in our prophecy in verse 3. Adam Clark says in his commentary that this stone could refer to the stone that was used during certain executions by stoning. They would take a big rock, and then what they would do is, at times they would drop it on the person's head, but at times they would drop it on the person's chest. And as they drop it on the person's chest, what would happen is that the, the, um, the thorax, the heart, the lungs, the liver will just burst. It will just rip open as they drop this massive stone. And then the people are, that are standing around will pick up stones and they will cast this, these stones at the person until the person is dead. Now, this phrase that says that Jerusalem will become a heavy stone for all people refers to that stoning that whatever nation rises up against Israel that wants to bring Jerusalem any harm will burst open like that rock that is dropped on the chest of a person that has been convicted and stoned to death the Lord God will destroy any nation who dare to try and gain victory over Israel they will be ripped apart. Beloved, now we can decide, are we going to believe God? Or are we going to believe the nations? Are we going to believe the United Nations that says the best solution in Israel is a two-state solution? Even though Hamas says, nope, no two-state solution. We want to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. Most of the nations surrounding Israel don't want Israel to exist. They don't want the Jewish people to exist. And why is there such enmity against Israel? Well, let me tell you, the first thing is there's enmity against God. That's the first reason. But the second one is because Israel is the chosen people of God and God has placed his name upon them. And because they hate God, they hate everything about God. And they hate everything that is connected to God. And that's why they hate Israel without even realizing that they actually hate the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's sad, beloved. It is so, so sad. But I believe that is why the Middle East is Muslim today. And why the Muslims received the, how can I say, the ability by God to take over the Middle East so that every single nation surrounding Israel will be hostile towards Israel because prophecy has to be fulfilled. And it's not going to happen in a day. It happened over years. And what we need to do is to see what's happening and to realize what is happening has been promised by God through prophecy. But beloved, what is behind this? What, what do we see? We do not see what's happening in Israel. Our hearts break because people are dying. Our hearts break because children are dying. But what we do see is that things are falling in place for the return of Christ as promised by him. That's what we're looking forward to. Our Lord is coming back. Our blessed hope is returning. And we can see it on the horizon. One day we're going to hear the trumpet sound. And we're going to meet Jesus Christ in the air. And we're going to be with him forever and ever. What a glorious day that's going to be. In the meantime, things are happening on this earth that prepares the way for jesus christ to return and unfortunately these things are shocking and painful and heartbreaking there's one more thing that i would like to share with you about jerusalem that is in psalm 122 verse 6 to 7 psalm 122 verse 6 to 7 where we read pray for the peace of jerusalem can you see this as a command it's not a choice it's not if you want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. No, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The psalmist continues to say, May they prosper who love you. So those who love Jerusalem obviously loves God. And those who love God and who loves Jerusalem, they will prosper. Love it, the opposite is true. Those who stand up against Jerusalem 
they will be destroyed by God. Even though we don't see it now, that the destruction is coming. The sentence has already been given. Verse 7 says, Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. And the reason why David was saying this is because the temple was in Jerusalem. Pray, pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem because the temple is in Jerusalem. God's Shekinah glory, God's presence is in Jerusalem. Pray that peace will be in Jerusalem for God is present. I read that David encouraged the pilgrims coming to the holy city of Jerusalem, you know, to come and pray, that they would pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for the peace of the city. And it's interesting that Jerusalem's name itself marks it as a city of peace in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 2. But in reality, Jerusalem knows war and it knows conflict. It's even continuing to this day. But still, beloved, we are instructed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that there will be peace in Jerusalem. Now let's get back to the sequence of events that will take place just prior to the promised return of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are told when we should expect the return of Jesus. Our passage tells us that Jesus will return after the period called the tribulation. You see it in our passage? After the tribulation. Yeah. You see, the tribulation will not be a normal period of time. So if we think that the world is in turmoil now, you ain't seen nothing yet. The tribulation period is a, a time that will never be again. Mark chapter 13, verse 19. This is what we read. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has uh, not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, the time of the tribulation, eh? nor ever shall be. Beloved, if somebody tells you that we are in the tribulation or that we've experienced the tribulation, just smile at them. Because they don't know what scripture says. There has never been a time like this. 70 AD is nothing in comparison to what's going to happen in the tribulation period. Never has there been a time like this from creation. Never will there be a time again in the future. It will be a time as... No time has been. And beloved, those people who are afraid to read the book of Revelation, I believe the reason why we're afraid to read the book of Revelation is because the Re book of Revelation spends most of its time speaking about this period called the tribulation, where people die, where trees are burned, where water turns into blood, where all kinds of things happens to this earth and many, many billions of people pass away. It's talking about this period. This word tribulation means trouble, difficulty, and distress. That's what the word means. And I believe that to a degree, maybe to an extent, we are experiencing the tip of the iceberg when it comes to trouble or when it comes to tribulation, if we may. I mean, we're looking at the wars in the Ukraine and in Gaza. Uh, instability in the Middle East, earthquakes all over the world, poverty and floods and natural disasters. We're looking at pestilence and corruption and economic uncertainty. We're looking at an economic collapse that could take place within the next year or two, or maybe a few months from now. Um, South Africa has one of the highest crime rates in the world. We rank number seven in the world. So at least we are doing something where we are on top. Seventh in the world. Cape Town is the tenth most dangerous city in the world. In 2022, South Africa had the fourth highest rate of HIV and AIDS in the world. Then, there are more things like high inflation and massive unemployment and load shedding. And by the way, it's interesting that except through the Rugby World Cup and the December holidays, then load shedding was gone. 
And the moment they started up um, the stations again, or parts of the stations again, whoops, back is load shedding. Very amazing. In 2023, we had more load shedding than the past 14 years combined, it is said. And load shedding is destroying our economy. That's a fact. We are facing recession. We are facing high inflation like we've never seen before. And I'm not negative. That's just the reality of the world we live in. Beloved, it's not just in South Africa, it's everywhere. Because the world is being prepared for this time called the tribulation period. The world is being prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing you and I have, we have the promise. We look and we see with our eye of faith, we see him on the clouds already. Waiting with anticipation that our Savior his return is just around the corner. Beloved, uh, we experience trouble sometimes in the collapse of the country's infrastructure. There's racial hate all over the world, road rage, and we can go on and on and on and on. We are surely living in times of trouble and difficulty and distress, but it's got nothing or it has nothing in comparison to the tribulation period that the Bible prophesies about. Now the reality is that there has always been trouble sometimes. It's always been there. And it is hard for us to picture this coming tribulation period. It's very hard. Because what do we compare it with? Beloved, the days described by Jesus will begin at a specific time. It says, when the abomination of desolation, this is in Mark chapter 13, verse 14. It says, and when, we see the, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What is this abomination of desolation? In short, it's a reference to the Antichrist. That future ruler... We call him a demon-possessed ruler of this world that is coming. And the world is getting ready for him. They're preparing the way for him. You can hear it. Our nations or our people are saying we are fed up with governments. We don't want to have a government anymore. We want to have a world ruler. Someone that will come and rule the world. We're sick and tired of all the corruption. So the world is getting ready and getting prepared. And we thought that the overrule of governments and the wickedness in governments and the corruption in governments are all part of just the corruption of the of human heart and evil of a human heart. No, 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 beloved. It's all preparation for the Antichrist to come that will take over the government of the world and be the ruler of the world. Whether he will be a combination of AI and a, and a human being, we don't know. God alone knows. But he will make peace with Israel. He will rebuild the temple or allow the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And the Jews will once again reinstate the sacrifices. They've already done that now in small. You know that? They've got everything ready for the rebuilding of the temple, the fourth temple. It's all there. The Temple Institute has got it. Go onto the internet. Type in Temple Institute and you will see it ready. Uh, now with the heifer that they have in Israel, um, they're ready. They want to start with the sacrifices, and they've already started in small. But they, the moment that the fourth temple is built, they will start with the sacrifice of animals once again. And then what the Antichrist is going to do is he's going to break this peace treaty with Israel. And then he will stand in the most holy place in the temple and there he will declare himself to be God and that he has to be worshipped. And this will happen in the middle of the tribulation period. Three and a half years into the tribulation period, he will declare himself God and people will have to worship him. If they do not worship him, guess what happens? Their heads get chopped off. 
just like what they do in Muslim nations nowadays, and you can see it's increasing with uh, beheading people again. They're going to bring in, it was interesting how in France when they had those big riots, I think it was last year, the year before, I can't remember exactly, it was interesting how the posters that they brought had guillotines on it. I don't know if you saw it. Crying for the chopping off of people's heads. And now with this whole Israel thing, I've heard the people who support Palestine, how they say that those who support Israel, their heads need to be chopped off. Young people, university students that says those things. Please don't look at the here and the now face, the things at face value. Beloved, we need to look at the world through scripture. God has given us these signs so that we can know when these things happen to look up, our salvation is close. Anyway, when the Antichrist stands up, he will demand worship when he stands up in the holy place. And that will basically be that he will basically abominate and desecrate the temple, the worship of God. It's heartbreaking. And that's why he is called the abomination of desolation. Now, when the Antichrist declares himself God, it will mark the beginning of what is called the Great Tribulation Period. The Great Tribulation will last for, it's also called the time of Jacob's trouble, if you read it in the scripture. The time of Jacob's trouble is that Great Tribulation Period where God focuses in on Israel to save all of Israel, where Israel will act as, as, as uh, mouthpieces for the Almighty God, for Christ specifically on this earth. Uh, amazing time that is, is before the Jewish people and God will protect his people that's why he says flee yeah. um, and when they do flee they, God will protect them and they will be a testimony or a witness and we will see earthquakes and famines and diseases and false religions and false Christs and it will escalate it will be frequent not now it's not even frequent yet it's going to be very very frequent we will see wars like never before. Uh, we will see false religions and false Christs, and there will be deception like never before. And unless, Mark chapter 13, verse 12, uh, 20 says, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would have been saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. How God is going to shorten those days, we don't know. But he shortened those days so that also the elect would be able to make it. Beloved, we know that during the time of the tribulation, the Antichrist will kill Jews or try to kill Jews. He will try to kill Christians. And sadly, two-thirds of the Jews living during that period, that terrible time, will die. It says it in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 to 9. It says, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. But one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them like uh, as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. God will save a third of the Jewish people during the tribulation period and two-thirds will die. But beloved, there's a sad thing that the scripture teaches us. Do you know that half of the population of the world is going to die? They say September on 26, uh, 2023, the population of the world hit 8 billion people. Which means that more than 4 billion people will die during the tribulation period. Let that sink in. Four billion. Not thousands. Not millions. Billions of people will die. Beloved, let me conclude. Jesus describes the tribulation period as a time before his second coming. It never was and it never will be again a time like this. Never. But it will happen before his return. He's promised 
return. My question to you is, does it excite you to know that Jesus is coming back even though all these horrible things are going to happen? Beloved, we have light. Yes, we are light, but we have light. We know what's going to happen. We've been before warned so that we can look up, look to Christ, knowing that he is our only hope. And by, but beloved, that's why we believe that there's salvation in Christ and him alone, and he's our only hope. And if we partake of the Lord's table this morning, we are proclaiming that he died for us on our behalf. He's our only hope. The world doesn't have that hope. They will go into the tribulation period and many, 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 many people will die. And that's why I believe the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amazing. Now Jesus has not returned yet. So let us commemorate what Jesus did on our behalf. Let's be obedient to what the Apostle Paul instructed the church to do. Let's be reminded that Jesus died for our sin, according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to many, and he ascended to heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us, and when he has done preparing a place for us, he will return, as he promised he would, to take us to be with him forever and ever. And the fact that you and I can look forward to that promise being fulfilled, beloved, is at the table this morning. As we are reminded of what Christ has done for us, as he gave himself as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to partake of communion with us and... Um, I hope that you've prepared your heart, allowed the Holy Spirit to examine your heart during this week, knowing that we would have communion this week, and that you are prepared and ready, that you will not partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to come to you this morning, to have the promise of the second coming of Christ, and even in the Lord's Supper, the Apostle Paul reminded us that we partake of the Lord's Supper until Jesus returns. Thank you for the promise of his return, and thank you for the reminder of what Christ has done for us in the Lord's Supper, in communion. And Father, in both, as we are reminded of what Jesus did for us on our behalf, and that our salvation is in him and in him alone, Father, thank you so much that we can look forward to the second coming of Christ, knowing that it is our blessed hope. So Father, we pray as we partake of the communion this morning, May your name be glorified. May we be edified. And Father, may we leave this building as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, missionaries sent out to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.